Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a Photog adventure of your own. It's episode 101. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everybody. And here we are, episode 101, the first episode of our three digits. It's your last, it's your least favorite digit to hear when you're in a college is 101. <laughs> 101. Basic class. It's going to be miserable. Math 101. It's going to reteach yeah. the stuff you learned in high school. And Yay. probably in a way you'll still manage to fail it. Yep. Or at least do poorly. <laughs> oh, man. 101. <laughs> so here we are, Milky Way 101 then. And it's patron only hey, 101. Yeah. So today we are going to tell you guys some sad news, patrons, that we have no longer any openings for the Nightscaper Conference. Bom, bom, bom. Royce has announced that it's totally sold out. And so the Nightscaper Conference in May has completely sold out. But if you're already planning on being there and you haven't signed up for a one-night workshop, we have three nights available on May 1st, May 2nd, and May 3rd. We'll be going out to different locations. So if you like Goblin Valley, join us on May 1st. If you want to go out to the Needles District and shoot in the Lost Canyon area, that is May mm. 2nd. And on May 3rd, we'll be going up to the canyon lands on the other side of the canyon lands where it's the island in the sky way past mesa arch there's this viewpoint that looks out over this terrain like you're in another planet and we're going to capture yeah, awesome. it is really awesome it's, really it's cool. a challenge because we got to capture it at sunset and at blue hour to try and see the terrain yeah yeah as well as capture the panorama milky way at midnight when it shows up and so it's going to be a long hangout there but it's going to be a lot of fun no hiking whatsoever on that night so if you're interested in island in the sky come with us on may 3rd every night is 250 dollars, and then you get a discount if you buy multiple nights if you wanted to join us for all three go ahead that's only 600 bucks so if you guys want to come out check it out go to royce bear's nightscaper conference website nightscaper.weebly.com and you can see the workshops and join us there as well as the create photography treat which is not sold out yet in las vegas yeah and you're going to teach a new class there that we weren't expecting yeah, yeah. I've been asked to uh, teach a macro photography class. So I will be um, looking at uh, ways of doing macro, the lenses you need, kind of setups you can do inside and outside. So Yeah, and then teaching our classic Milky Way stuff and mm -hmm. photo pills. So it's going to be a blast. We won't have multiple nights of workshops, but we are going to have a Saturday night workshop after the whole conference. And that's 250 to join. The information's not on the website yet, but if you have any questions about it, hit us up in an email. You can email either Aaron or Brendan at photogadventures.com and we'll answer any questions that you have. Yeah. So today we have... Alan Wallace. So Alan does hail from Wales. He is near the Beacon, the Be uh, sorry, the Brecon Beacons National Park, and he does landscape, time lapse photography, and astrophotography. The frickin' Brecon Be Beacons. Yeah, it's really hard to say. <laughs> so <really fast. laughs> you say Brecon Beacons better than the English people. Seriously, we have a big thing. Oh, with this. really? About English people pronouncing Welsh names? Yeah, that was perfect. <laughs> Good to hear. That's funny because I lived in England for a couple of years. So. Oh, really? But maybe the American English uh, <laughs> translation worked better, I guess. You've been doing photography for a while, but when did you get started doing Milky Way out there? Um, 
so I mean, I I bought my first DSLR in May 2015, mm-hmm. and it was the reason I bought my first camera was because I was going on holidays to Turkey, and I realised that it was the same time as the Perseids meteor show, the Perseids oh, meteor oh, show. Oh yeah, yeah. And like I've always loved astrophotography and astronomy and all things space. But being a student, like the idea of buying a DSLR was just like <laughs> way out of my budget. <laughs> right. But I finally had a bit of money, and uh, I was like, I really want to capture this event in Turkey and share it with my friends back home. And it all just kind of started from there. So, where in Turkey did you find a dark enough sky to hit up the Perseid meter shower? Um, so it's, it's a place called. There's two places. One's called Butterfly Valley, and the other one's called Kabak Valley. They're on the southwest coast, and they're sort of really remote areas that you can only get to by boat or by oh. like serious four by four so there's no street lights there's no sort of stone buildings everyone sleeps in bungalows and tents and huts and it's sort of out of the way of all the towns and cities and yeah you're looking out to sea so obviously there's no light pollution out to sea and it's, it's just perfect how long did it take mm. you to get there were you going there from a major city or did you travel very far uh, about an hour and a half two hours from the nearest sort of major town Mm. So that night you didn't have to travel too much. It wasn't like a six-hour round trip. Wow. So when you're looking at Turkey at that time in 2015, was that already Erdogan's Turkey? Was was he in power? Oh, man. I'm not getting into that. (laughs) Let's not get into that. Let's stick to the photography. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really want to go into politics, but I was curious how safe it would be for me to do it because I know Brandon and I. Uh, it's, it's, It's purely safe. I mean, like if you go there as a tourist, you won't see all of the political stuff and you know the stuff that the the resident people go through it's you know it's still perfectly safe and fine for tourists and mm, that's you great won't news. see any of that nonsense i should know yeah yeah trying to find a place that you can be in europe and be away from the light pollution is a huge challenge mm-hmm. i mean just looking at the light pollution maps yeah. we look at places that are going to be a maybe a border skill Five, look into a border scale three, and you don't really get away yeah. from it all like we can out here in the United States. But you've traveled through Europe in many locations. Do you have maybe your top three European locations for Milky Way Sky? Um, hmm. so for Milky Way, obviously you can't go north. I mean, I love going north to like Norway and Iceland, but the Milky Way there is not mm. great. It's better yeah. for the Northern Lights, obviously. But yeah, um, I think um, so. I love the Dolomites in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's probably like not the darkest place in Europe, but I mean, you've just got this insanely awesome landscape. Yeah, kind of makes up for it. It's it's a goal um, of ours to get out to the Dolomiti. My family is from the Dolomiti area. My dad's side, oh. they're all from Malgolo, right there by Bolzano, and so it's a beautiful area. We'd love to get out there. Yeah, it's definitely worth definitely worth going. Um, the weather doesn't always play ball, but mm. it's always <laughs> going to be worth the trip. <laughs> sure. I'd say the second best place would be pretty much anywhere along the Alps. So the mountain range that kind of runs from southern France through the Dolomites, uh, through Austria and Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking on light pollution map, that is just all blue and purple areas. That's cool. Yeah, and you, you get the added benefit that it's it's all really high altitude mountains, so like 2,000, mm. 3,000, 4,000 meters you're up and above from the light pollution. I mean, you look at the light pollution map and most of that light pollution is kind of confined within valleys and mm. and gorges. When you get onto the mountains, you've got like 
the clearest air like possibly in the world. <laughs> like breathe, breathing is like I don't know, drinking something sweet. You know, like the air mm. is just so sweet and yeah. clear, and you're just kind of above all the light pollution. And it's yeah, if you can get up onto the mountains, if you're if you're sort of you know if you like hiking and you're skilled in sort of mountaineering. Incredible place. What kind of a hike are you talking? Two, three, five-hour hikes? Yeah, I mean, there's there's something for everyone, and there's a lot of cable carts as well, so you can skip certain parts if you if you're willing to pay a few euros. Okay. Um, and you know, there's there's something for all levels. At the Alps, is like there's something for everyone there, <laughs> even the serious guys, you know. <laughs> so then that puts you at Dolomiti. Oh, Dolomiti in the Alps as one of your favorite places. What's your other couple places that you love to go out to? So my my top would be um, La Palma and the Canary Islands in general. Ooh. This was this will probably yeah definitely the best choice for Milky Way in Europe. I'd say. I mean, it's like to be honest, it's if you look at a map, you'd say it as Africa, not Europe. The Spanish islands just off the coast of um, of Morocco and and the Western Sahara. So it's right there in the Mediterranean Sea, correct? Or is it off of them and to the... Oh, the La Palma's right there. Mm. Yeah, this is yeah. off into the Atlantic Ocean, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So you've got these... You've got a number of islands. Uh, they're all pretty dark. They don't look it on, on a light pollution map, but... La Palma in particular is the whole island is a starlight reserve. So the the light pollution that is there is, um, you know, it's that yellow wavelength of light. It's directed downwards. All the lights are shielded. Oh, good. Oh, cool. Yeah. This is the whole island. And basically what happens is because it's like the westernmost island, you get this like sea of cloud coming over the Atlantic and then the... The island itself is like 3,000 meters tall. It's a very small island. It's 3,000 meters tall, and you can drive up to the peak of it. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. So you <laughs> can, like, you, if you take a hotel, you can, like, you'll wake up in the morning in the most torrential rain, <laughs> but you can just jump in your car and drive above the cloud. Oh. Like, nice. it's heaven, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is like, <laughs> and you're just like, it's so weird to wake up like and you know when you see the rain normally you're like oh god I'm not going to do anything today <laughs> like when you're in La Palma you're just like oh I'm just going to get in my car and I'm just going to drive above the clouds it's insane oh. and you just you drive um, like the road is horrible you're just like left and right and left and right for like an hour <laughs> you drive through this like amazing rainforest and then you just emerge on top of the clouds blue skies or you know if it's night obviously starlit skies and this layer of cloud kind of acts like a um it's like a blanket which covers the light pollution the little light pollution which is there anyway so you're above the clouds you're on these peaks and you've just got the the most incredible skies i think in europe because you're you're also pretty close to africa so if you can imagine what the what the air is like in in the desert so it's a very similar kind of um, air quality as long as you've not got one of these like dust storms or sandstorms going on definitely the best guys in Europe I think mm, wow that's incredible you're the second person that's mentioned that to me recently that the Canary Islands specifically Santa Cruz de la Palma is like a great place this area yeah. what is it that you do to get there do you have to fly can you fly straight into that island or must you fly in to one of the larger islands and take a boat out to the palm la palma area so they, they do have their own airport there are international flights i think there's 
there's two a week from London direct to La Palma. Oh, wow. um, sweet. Or, yeah. Well, what you can do, you can fly to Tenerife, which is one of the bigger islands, which is a lot more touristy. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the biggest difference is that Tenerife has golden sand beaches and La Palma has black sand beaches. Oh. Really, that close, and they change so, that much. Yeah, oh. it's like La Palma is just like an absolute volcano. But I think because Tenerife had the golden sand, the tourism is huge there. Like the last twenty, thirty years, it's just grown and grown and grown. You've got these palm trees and golden sand. But you go to La Palma, there's no tourism. Like nobody there really speaks English. They speak, you know, enough to get you by in the restaurant but they just don't have that same sort of tourism going on wow um, but if you fly there's a lot more flights to Tenerife so if you get to Tenerife you can either take a little flight over to La Palma or you can take a ferry over to La Palma there's plenty of options there so what's the That's language cool. all Spanish speaking yeah as far as I know it's all all Spanish mm. oh man and the other thing like if you if you look at the map like if you look at where it is on a map it's much further south compared to anywhere else in Europe. So you obviously you get the Milky Way much higher in the sky, which is obviously much better viewing conditions. Yeah. I've never been that far south and shot a Milky Way. I mean, that would be, I guess, if you're looking at the latitude, it might be a similar latitude as southern Mexico Florida. Or, yeah, something like that. Really? Yeah. But still, that is, the Milky yeah. Way is higher in the sky, and it's got a different feel. I, mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it comes with its own challenges, you know, because... I'm so used to composing the Milky Way core sort of nice and low on the horizon. And then you go there and you're like, damn, it's so high in the sky. Like, I can't, how am I supposed mm. to put this into my composition, you know? <laughs> right. That is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, trying to find a really good foreground, uh, it definitely is easier when the Milky Way is lower in the, in the sky. Yeah. When it's dread- directly above your head, what do you do? I mean, what are your what, what? How do you overcome that challenge? Just huge panoramas with a lot of dead space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're working with your Milky Way photography, what's your goal? Trying to get bigger landscapes, more prominent visual landscapes, or Milky Way? I'm definitely a the landscape accents Ooh. the Milky Way kind of guy. But I've met a few yeah. guys recently that the landscape is first in priority and the Milky Way is sort of like the icing on the cake. How do you approach your shots? I think I, I probably prioritize the landscape more than the Milky Way. Uh, I like to find a composition and just kind of see how it would take the viewer in to the image and then up to the Milky Way kind of thing. Yes. So I'm looking for compositions with leading lines or something that's just going to pull you in and then kind of take you up into the up into the sky and off into space, you know? Yeah. That's, that's kind of my thinking as well. You, you know? like to go that route as yeah, well? Yeah, I try as much as I can, yeah, to do that. It can be a challenge to find those right compositional elements mm-hmm. that lead their eyes right to that core without just being, okay, the core is the brightest part. Everyone's eyes goes there first. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure with mean, the leading lines and other elements? Yeah, for sure. Do you do any low-level lighting then when you deal with your leading lines or are you all natural lighting? I'm all natural lighting. Wow. Like this. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's something about the fact that the landscape is mostly being lit by photons which have travelled millions upon millions of years across the <laughs> vacuum of space to land on my sensor. There's something about that thought process that kind of, I just don't like using fake lighting. Interesting. I also don't, like, yeah, I don't like the time blends either. You know, a lot of people do uh, the foreground in twilight and then they take the milky way like a couple of hours later right yeah that 
I, I much prefer to have my foreground like lit by starlight. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes total sense. We were just talking about how in our workshop we're going to have one specifically set on doing that where we capture a time blend. So when you're not going to capture a time blend, how long of an exposure do you usually do to bring out your uh, foreground? Nothing too extravagant. I mean, sometimes I'll do like a few minutes, two or three minutes for the foreground, or I'll do eight 30-second shots and stack them just to reduce the noise and then lift the shadows later on. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, kind of depends on the scenario. If it's windy, obviously I wouldn't risk doing like a four-minute exposure because you could end up wasting so much time in the field. Right. So I would just do multiple 20, 30 seconds and stack them and lift the shadows with more comfort later on. What? Do, um, yeah. What do you like to use when you stack? Um, so I, I used to, what I used to do is stack the foreground in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And I never used to worry about stacking the sky because it was such a time-consuming, pain-in-the-butt thing to do. Right. That I would just do normal normal noise reduction on the sky, but do a stacking for the foreground. Mm-hmm. Because the shadow areas is obviously where you get a lot more noise. Yeah. And stacking the foreground is such a quick and easy process. Um, but I'm a Windows user, and there's a new program now called Sequator or Sequator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've used it. Um yeah, it's so good. Like it, it stacks both the the landscape and the sky at the same time and blends them together for you. Like, and I've been really, really impressed. Like even complicated, um, you know, where you get the on the horizon, you've got lots of trees, mm-hmm. which can be kind of difficult to blend with the sky. It, it does such a good job. Um, so lately, for the past six months, I guess I've been stacking everything in Sequoia. Right on. We love Sequator and Starry Landscape Stacker. And so since we have PCs that need Sequator to be Mm -hmm. used, since Starry Landscape Stacker is only for a Mac, we've been loving both of them. And we haven't made enough use of them. And I guess it's an interesting idea of doing it with the foregrounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 30-second long shots, bringing them all together in Sequator. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got this little freeze ground tick box. And if you do that, it'll stack the, uh, the foreground for you as well. And when you do it and it stacks for both, are you focusing your stacks on the upper half and the lower half separately? Or are you just taking the images, all 30... Well, no, because your 30-second images of the foreground are not your sky images. So then do you take some stacked images for your sky to complement the stacked images that you took for the ground? For instance, I took eight ground shots, 30 seconds. Here's eight stacked shots of the sky. How do you tackle that? No, I normally just focus just before infinity and that will be both the the ground and the sky and i'll stack those at the same time in sequitur so if you only do 30 seconds Um, your sky shot is a 30 second shutter then yeah okay sweet 20 to 30 seconds depending on the lens and the direction i'm facing and gotcha but sometimes if i'm like really really close to the foreground object i will do a focus stack Mm. Uh, but i've tend to not do them these days just because it adds so much work to the workflow <laughs> and, right. they, and they end up just sitting in your Lightroom archive and then eventually you forget about them and like a year later you're digging through and you're like oh I forgot about that one you know and then <laughs> getting the focus stack in the foreground for me has always required some artificial lighting so are you able to get your focus still on something so close in that dark of a sky well I I will light up the foreground just to change the focus. Okay, then you'll turn it off. So I'll take an exposure at infinity, then I'll check the image, see where the focus is dropping. I'll shine my torch at that point, focus on that point, turn the torch off, take the exposure, and just keep coming until my 
foreground subject is finally in focus. Oh man, yeah, mm. that's a lot of work, definitely. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then, <laughs> before we end this segment about challenges of milkweed photography out there in Europe, what would be something you would say to someone who's going to go do milkweed photography in Europe? What advice would you give them? Bring a rain jacket. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, Expect rain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look for somewhere that's mountainous just so you can kind of get up and away from any light pollution that's around. Dress up nice and warm. Bring a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> stay comfortable, stay warm, and get above it all. That's definitely yeah. something that we don't do or have to do here in Utah. We drive up a lot of times, and we're there at the location with a small mm-hmm. hike. And so that's good advice. If you're in the area yeah, on a man. vacation in Europe, look for a high point. Look for a high point and get up there and get above it. Yeah. So sweet. Let's go ahead and take our first break of the podcast. We'll come back with Alan Wallace, and we're going to hear some stories about him when he was fighting off three ravenous bears during one of his Milky Way shoots. <laughs> or maybe that wasn't the story. We'll find out something else. <laughs> Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everyone. We're here with Alan Wallace, a guy who has surpassed us in YouTube views and has done Milky Way-focused <laughs> stuff. He has a What's in the Night Sky every month if you want to check it out. He just did his November one. I'm curious what he'll say is in December, which would mean there's obviously tons of cool stuff in December to focus on when the Milky Way core is out of sight until January 23rd curse you curve of the earth and the way that everything rotates (laughs) but uh it is an awesome opportunity to have you here alan we talked about your scary bear story we're gonna bypass that really really bizarre story (laughs) no too gruesome for this family friendly podcast i think (laughs) right exactly we don't want to hear about you losing your friends so he was the one that ran the fastest. <laughs> so then when you think about photography stories and you catch up with another photographer and you're sitting there, you're having a drink, what would be one of your stories that you would share with them that you're like, okay, you got to hear this? Um, well, I, I like to share my stories with everyone, really, which is why I kind of started the YouTube stuff mm. because, um, you know, you may go on a trip that lasted days and has so much adventure and you come back with one image and, you know, nobody gets to sort of experience that story. You know, right. Why I started the vlogs, and it was, I mean, one of the first ones I was in um, up in Snowdonia in North Wales on Anglesey, a uh, little tidal island. And um, you can see in the vlog that we, we're over there, and we've had our Milky Way shots planned. We we got the Milky Way shots, and we knew that the tide was coming in, mm. and where we were was like a tidal island. Oh. So. Um, as the tide comes in, you get cut off from the mainland and stuck on this like little island. <laughs> and we were we were maybe a little bit overconfident, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> took our time with it a little bit. And as you can see in the vlog, we kind of walk it back, and we're just greeted with like this just channel of sea which is cutting us off. And it's like it's Ooh. almost like that scene in the Bible, you know, where Moses uh, is, Moses is greeted with the, the sea, and all you want to do is just like stick your stick down and part the sea and kind of walk across. But obviously, you can't do that with a Ben Road tripod; well, they're not that magical. But, and, uh, <laughs> so, what did you do to get out? Sort of just, well, we basically just took our shoes off, took our trousers off, and uh, we kind of walked across, and it, it came up like. Uh, past the ball let's say which is <laughs> and uh it was a very cold i think it was september it was a very cold september evening Ooh. so that wasn't um wasn't enjoyable but there, there was like the story doesn't stop there the, the vlog kind of stops there because and we're basically 
got to the other side and oh, we got sort of by our car and there was this like really drunk lady who was like what? probably on drugs. Yeah, that, and it, it was like it was quite serious. This is why I didn't I couldn't film it like and <laughs> she was really really pestering us and like the problem was like we're all standing there with no trousers on. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got this like really drugged up woman like clinging on to us and like <laughs> And we're like, oh my god! If somebody turns up right now, we are so busted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know what was going on, you guys. Get in here. <laughs> I mean, I wonder what she was thinking. Huh? These, these two guys walking up with no trousers on, and they're like, "Hey, now is my chance." I mean, what is? She- <laughs> I guess you're asking for it. Oh my gosh! It's funny that she caught up to you before you had a chance to reclothe. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really scary, man. I, like my mate Gareth was like sitting in his car, like putting things back on, and she jumped in the other side of the car. Oh, just sat next to him. We were like, "Whoa!" What was go-? Like we couldn't shake her off. Man. Like, <laughs> How did you yeah, end up crazy. separating from her? Um, I it started to get uh, well. She started to get a little bit aggressive. We just kind of like did the kind of distraction technique and then, like, scrambled into the car and drove <laughs> off. And just, Look over there. <laughs> there. Bear? You know, you just hope... Is that where the bear comes in? Look, there's a big bear. <laughs> yeah, that's where the bears <laughs> came in. <laughs> where was the bear when you needed it? <laughs> <laughs> so the distraction technique, you ran back to the car and shut the door in time, and then she grabbed onto the bumper and you dragged her half a block down yeah, the road. Yeah, and you're, like, looking in the wing mirror and she's hanging off the <laughs> Monty Python. <laughs> did it end there or did it get worse? No, that was it. Thankfully, that was it. And we, we sort of carried on and did some more Milky Way photography and finished the vlog and <laughs> wow. things went back to normal. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, we have been in places that the tides come in on us in the Faroe Islands and it was starting to block off part of that path. And that is a bit of a, that sensation mm. of, oh, no, we're we're really put ourselves in a situation if we can't get past this. Right, right. You either have to take some sketchy uh, trail up and over it or just wade through it. And in his case, yeah. he only had wade through it or right, bust. Right. If you were stuck there on that tidal island, you would have been there for the, what, 12 hours, at least six hours? Yeah, six hours. That's not would have been good. That's not would have been good. That's not a good English. <laughs> That's no. not something that would have been good. Right. Oh my gads! Was the shot at least fantastic? You got the great Milky Way shot. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. <laughs> right on. It has a story now, so it's even better. You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sometimes no, the kidding. story's better than the image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the other one you were mentioning? Uh, so in my latest vlog, uh, which I just uploaded in La Palma, which we were talking about earlier, cool. we wanted to spend the night sort of around the telescopes. There's lots of telescopes there and observatories. And obviously it makes a really cool subject for a Milky Way mm, photograph. Yeah. So we like we want to spend the night there, take photos of all the scopes, you know, and um we sort of learned that the the road that goes to the top of the mountain is closed in the evening to stop cars driving through for obvious reasons. They don't, don't want headlights oh, yeah. shining into the telescopes and all that. So we were like, Hey, let's let's just walk up there. So we kinda left the cars down at the bottom. And my friend Adrian, who was a French astrophotographer, was, he's an incredible photographer as well. Um, he's got like three cameras and sliders and trackers. He's got like 100 <laughs> kilos on his back. And we did like, it was, I think it was about like a four or five kilometer hike. So it's not too bad, but it's like really steep and rough terrain. Um, 
so we got through that and uh we set up we'd been making plans for like the last two days yeah i'm gonna get like a nice southeast facing shot with this telescope i'm gonna get a shot of that telescope with the cygnus region gonna do star trails facing that way with that telescope and spent so long making all these plans and then um we set up the sun had set the belt of venus was rising the earth shadow was rising and then security turns up and we're like nope it's not possible you have to get down oh we're gonna escort you off the premises now and they put us in their car and took us off the site oh oh, all those plans but then we kind of found like this public path which like goes along the side of the observatory so you can still see like a few of the telescopes so we kind of um made the best of a bad situation and then what I love about these situations is like you have a plan that's like your plan your visualization gets you out there puts you in to place right, but right. stuff inevitably like stuff inevitably goes wrong and you have to improvise and I think those shots where you have to improvise I prefer, like, I always seem to like the shots which are improvised. Something about being put in a crucible that makes something even better. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and I think, like, sometimes you visualize a shot for so long that when you take it, like, you've already seen it before. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about these improvised shots that are just, like, there's something about them. Um, I don't know, maybe a little bit of personal pride. So they wouldn't let you shoot Mm. there because you were too close to the observatory? You had to get out of that specific area? Yeah, there's like, so there's like a little mountain peak, which is where we were sort of situated, and it's kind of above a lot of the telescopes. Yeah, looking mm. on your so vlog, it looks like you're pretty far away, too. There's actually, there's, there's way more, like, just down from that side as well. Mm, okay. Um, like, there's loads of scopes, there, but because you're above them, basically, um, they're worried about the light, obviously, going into the telescopes, but uh, that's the guy fair. said, you know, if you're... If you're down, if you're like just below that scope, there's no problem. Your light's not going to go in as long as you're, you know, um, oh. diligent and, and caring and keep the, the light sort of low and down and red and, and all that. Oh, that seems really fair. I mean, that area is pretty famous. For me, that's the area yeah. that discovered the and proved that quantum entanglement exists and can be possible. Because mm. oh, they, really? sh- they shot photons between... Um, Tenerife and La Palma, I think, is what they were doing. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where they actually proved that they could interfere and in, in influence from that distance. And that's just that's cool. Crazy, crazy. Seeing just his vlog, if you guys have not followed Alan Wallace on YouTube, you've got to. He's living a bit of my dream of astrophotog having just Milky Way content and astrophotography content. It's fantastic video. It's really well done. Good job, Alan. And you get a chance to Thanks. see in his vlog here just the cool Tenerife La Palma mountains mm-hmm. above the clouds. It's it's That's like you nice. were describing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's heaven, man. <laughs> <laughs> to watch even just the sunset and sunrise up there, let alone the night sky, would be terrific. Uh, yeah. So if you're up there, but aren't oh, there's a security guy <laughs> helping you get out of there. I see him right now. <laughs> he has got his yellow jacket on, saying, "Hey, you got to get out of here." So we're watching the YouTube vlog as we talk on mute, and man, just. That guy being there, did he start off angry or was he really cool about it? Because sometimes they just like immediately bark mm. at you. No, he. I mean, he, he's probably used to it. He does it every day. <laughs> <laughs> he probably <laughs> he does. Was, <laughs> yeah, he he 
he started off assertive, and then I think when he kind of saw like the disappointment in our faces, he was like, he took it easy on us, and he kind of showed us like, just go over there, you can still see the scopes, and you know, that's cool. He hooked us up. I think. You started crying. Admit it. You yeah. started crying. <laughs> <laughs> just a like, little why? bit. Why? Oh, but please. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful area. I mean, mm. I did not know that I needed to have La Palma in my bucket list until my friend was talking about it and oh, saying, yeah. you got, he's mm. got to come out here and he's ready to come join us. And now with a second witness coming from, from Alan, this is definite. We got to get out here. We got to get out here to this area. 100%. So then with this area from the spot that you ended up shooting from still worked out, still was good. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like from dusk till dawn, we were shooting like the Milky Way core, all the planets, the zodiacal light, the Cygnus Ooh. region of the Milky Way. Mm. Yeah, it was just perfect. Bro. And you're getting your classic selfie shot. You love to be in the selfie with the Milky Way. <laughs> you remind me of my yeah. our buddy Stephen Magner. He likes to do that too. With your um, shot right here of the panorama, I don't know if it's yours or Adrian's, but it looks almost star tracked. Was he doing any tracking as well, or is it just a really nice stack? Oh, so I think that's the 50 mil. It's a panorama with a 50 mil lens. Oh, yeah, that mm. makes a lot of stars show up. Oh, yeah. And it's a gigapano, so yeah. it's brilliant. It's amazing the, how the light pollution so the, can add so much. Yeah. You know, we try so hard to get away from light pollution, but you can really use that for your images in Milky Way photography. And a lot of people kind of forget that, that you can really use it to your advantage. I mean, you got highlights going on the valleys and lighting up the mountains. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Even that mist down below is lit up. It's it's really great how that works out. We, we were joking how, like, because that, that island is basically just a, a dead volcano. Mm. And you're standing on the edge of a crater, a caldera, but the light pollution kind of makes it look like an active volcano. <laughs> like oh, active lava yeah. streams like, like everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is yeah, really, that really, awesome. really cool stuff. So again, if you guys haven't followed Alan Wallace's YouTube channel, it's just called Alan Wallace. Google it up. But also down below in the show notes and in the description of this podcast, you'll see a link to it to follow Alan Wallace mm -hmm. on his YouTube channel because it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, so. Anything else from this story before we go on to your third story? Mm, no, you can just watch the vlog and uh, see for yourselves. <laughs> Find out more at his vlog. Yeah. Awesome. So then you mentioned... <laughs> oh, sorry. Back, yeah. to that, back to that panorama. The uh, the panorama you mentioned, the mm -hmm. sky is tracked. Okay. And then the oh. foreground is untracked. So okay. it's a 50 millimeter tracked sky as well. Yeah. So they were one one minute tracked sky exposures and one minute untracked foreground exposures. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's, Very cool. That makes sense. It's really, really beautiful in the dust lanes and there's just billions yeah, of stars the showing up. That amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm loving that. Cool. Well, then your third story, hit us up with the third longer story, the one that's going to make us think and cry and feel inspired. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a few years ago when... I saw, you know, Mark Gee, the, mm -hmm. uh, is he from New Zealand, I think? The astrophotographer is really famous for these long-distance moon videos. Yeah, Mark oh, Gee's yeah. Aussie. Yeah, yeah he's a fan of ours. Yeah. Oh, we're a fan of his. Uh, and we're so friends. I, I, I picked up a Sigma 150 to 600 mil oh, yeah, yeah. lens. And um, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I want to try this. And so I, I kind of um, threw the idea to my yoga instructor at the time who I knew for like three weeks she was like one of these happy go lucky girls she was like yeah cool let's do it <laughs> I was like okay do you, you mind hiking like to the top of the mountain she's like yeah it's fine that's cool when can we do it and I was like well next time it's full moon and clear skies I'll let you know and it was a few months later we had the opportunity and I gave her a ring and she was like yeah cool come pick me up so I picked her up and I dropped her at the bottom of the mountain and um, she's in like yoga attire you know the thin tights and a thin fleece and 
most people take about 45 to 50 minutes to get to the top of this mountain. She got up there in like 20 minutes and she called me and she was like, okay, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, man. So <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't, like, I'm not Bruce Almighty. I can't just like move the moon and stick it behind you when I want. Like, you're going to have to wait there for like an hour. And she was like, oh, th- there's a lot of snow up here. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> didn't think this one through <laughs> run around in circles she's like don't worry don't <laughs> stay warm go back down come back up so she was like don't worry I'll just do some star jumps or something I'll try and keep warm and so <laughs> I'm like trudging around this marshland and I'm trying to get into this like so I'm using photo pills to get like the precise mm. position that I need to be in yeah and um, just about there I'm like I'm in this really like sludgy marshlandy swampy grass kind of stuff huh so my 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 toes are just completely numb i'm already just very depressed <laughs> hated myself <laughs> and um i didn't have anything to focus on because it was pitch black and the moon hasn't popped up yet and i'm like what do i do yeah no kidding. And, like the phone signal keeps going because we're in like the middle of nowhere so we're struggling to make contact i can't see her i don't know where she is oh my gosh and then <laughs> yeah just just as we made phone contact, the moon started popping up from the, the, the edge of the mountain. I'm like, oh, my God. And I just started freaking out. Like I just absolutely turned into a werewolf. Like, this full moon's coming up. And I'm just like, ah! <laughs> and like, I'm like trying to grab focus. And like the, this land is so marshy. Like the tripod's shaking. I can't see the moon. And then I'm like, where the hell are you? I'm like shouting at this poor girl. She's like, well, I'm on top of the mountain. I'm like, well, shine a light. I can't see you. <laughs> And she shines a light, and I'm like, come here, come here. And she's, like, moving over. I finally get her in the frame. Oh. And I'm just, like, dude, like, really, like, like normally astrophotography is really calming, and I go out, and I get de-stressed, <laughs> and it's therapeutic. Have a nice but I'm just, experience, like, right? yeah. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm in the middle of this field, like, go left, move left, like, just, like, shouting like at this poor girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, as I'm doing this about... 100 meters away from me this big red flare just goes like, and I've got this massive red flare just shining in the corner of my eye uh-huh. I can hear some guy shouting and I'm just like so focused on the task at hand I'm just like I'm just a photographer it's okay like as if that explains anything <laughs> I'm <laughs> just a photographer <laughs> I don't need saving get out of here <laughs> photographer card right there Man, and like I, <laughs> and I'm like just focusing on the task just like stay focused and uh She's like we basically had this plan to do. I think it's called a king dancer's pose, where like they pull the leg over the back up to the top. Oh of the yeah, head. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're and Stand on one leg, and she like she goes to do it, and obviously um, she's really cold, and her muscles are just not stretching, and she just can't do it. And I, I'm watching this through like the viewfinder at twelve hundred mil, <laughs> literally watching the moon move across my frame, and I'm just like, oh my god, we've got about ten seconds to do this, and like <laughs> she's. Like, <laughs> And she starts like she takes off her jumper, and then she takes off her shoes, and I'm just like, I like I feel like the most long distance pervert in the world right now. <laughs> and she finally does it, and she pulls her leg up, and like just before the moon kind of moves from behind her, we we got the well, not really a shot, it was a video, and I took a still out of the video frame, mm-hmm. and that was it. And I was like, oh my god, did it happen? Did I get it? And like, everything's just really like, oh my god, what just happened? And then the um the the guy with the red flare comes over. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? And I sort of explained, like, and re- I realized this guy's dressed in, like, full army attire. Oh, wow. 
And um, yeah, he's like, um, I need to show you something. And he took me over to where he lit the flare. And there's like loads of tents about. And there's about ten, eight to ten guys standing to attention, holding like fake guns. Oh. <laughs> just standing there to attention. And he's like, he looks to me and he says, these guys were all nicely wrapped up warm in bed ten minutes ago. <laughs> then you started running around the field shouting, move back, move back. So they all thought... <laughs> They all thought you were a drill sergeant playing like an unexpected training session on them. These guys are like the SAS. These are like the, the British Navy SEALs, you know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. He's like, I think you better oh, apologize. Wow. I was like, oh my God, man. I've never bit my own finger so hard. I was like, oh. Like, eight of the. <laughs> Wow. I said, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. And then I took a grill in. And, uh, <laughs> How do you explain to them? Like, no, no, I was instructing the girl on the top of the mountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one who's dead what now. What the hell have you been smoking, man? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Yes. And the whole time she's like, do we get it? Do we get it? Can I come down yeah. now? <laughs> yeah, what happened? Like, funny, like, af- as well, she told me afterwards, like, just as we're sort of orchestrating the shot and the moon's behind her, some guy is like approaching her, some hiker who's doing like night navigation training up on the mountains, starts approaching her. And she instantly just started shouting at this guy like, go away, go away. Like, <laughs> this poor guy must have been like, what did I do? Like, what, He's like, why what, am I not Why is this girl, <laughs> why is this girl like half naked doing yoga on top of a snowy mountain in the middle of the night? Oh, Alone. <laughs> And the best part is, is that this type of shot requires the lining up of Mm. the moon in the distance, the point of the peak, Mm. and you way off in the crazy distance. And Mm -hmm. so without knowing ahead of time, no one can look at that and assume. Right. It's not obvious what you're Mm. shooting. It looks like you're just shooting something in the swamp and she's standing there alone and the moon's way high in the sky. They had no freaking clue Mm -hmm. that all of that's lining up. It's crazy. A lot of people, you get in the comments, people are like, the moon is never that big. And you're like, well, yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's the same size as it always is. That she's just really far away. Yeah, it is when you're like a mile away. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where oh, can we man. find? Where can we find pictures or video of that? That's such a cool story. In, on, I think it's on the blog on my website actually. The, on the, the photo is really bad quality because it's from like a 1080p video. But. Okay, definitely. We are going to talk about this again, but if you guys want to follow more of Alan Wallace's stuff, check out alanwallacephotography.com and his name, Alan, is spelled L-A-L-Y-N, Wallace. Yeah. And Ooh, so yeah. here it is, the most nerve-wracking <laughs> photo I have ever took. And it shows these awesome. images of the girl lifting her leg up and going around. And she's just alone on the top of this peak. Yeah. You didn't let her go up there with a friend or anything. (laughs) It's a relaxing night. You want to come having a relaxing night with me? (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, cool. You even rode up exactly where you were standing and everything. So cool. What an awesome experience. That is something that Brendan and I haven't done yet. We're matching it up. Mm-hmm. What was it like using photo pills to match up the moon? I know that photo pills is really fantastic. We love photo pills, but even when we work with the Milky Way, it's you know it's not like it's one to one all the time in the night AR. So what did you find that was making mm. it so it lined up just right for you? Yeah, I, d- I don't use the night AR much to be honest because I, I don't trust the compasses in, in the smartphones, you know. But with the moon, it's it's very good. It's very, very good. I mean, even to the point when I've started time lapses 
before the moon has risen and it, it, it you know it goes very accordingly and simply right. watching it I, such a, sorry simply watching it on the planner where you see the blue line and you know where the blue line's going to be is that what you're doing um so it's more than just the blue line i mean the blue line is where it pops up from the horizon if you're standing at 0 meters above sea level right mm-hmm. you kind of have to like you put the um you put the target pin on where your subject's going to stand or the building that you're aiming for so that you can see the elevation of your target. Yeah. And then you've got to scrub time f- scrub time forward a little bit to see where the moon comes up high enough to be visible at, from that point kind of thing. Yep, using the pin-to-pin um, geodetic so, info then is what you're mm-hmm. using at that point. Yeah. So it's, it's not just the blue line. It's more about letting the moon come up a little bit and then finding the position you need to stand to get it right. So if you're... The target is two degrees up. You have to wait for the moon to come sort of two degrees up. Gotcha. Um, and then you kind of juggle. You kind of juggle your position until you get it just right. And, um, yeah. Well, wow. We got to do more of that and practice it ourselves. You yeah, have it on your the moon board. is a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah. This very specific article, I will link to you guys on our description in the show notes. So if you go to photogadventures.com forward slash EP101, you'll see the link to this article. And it's really great. What a funny story. Oh, That's my gosh. I wish someone was there filming you during that moment. Because like, there's 10 guys back there <laughs> holding guns at attention. Because you're like, move back, move back. <laughs> they think they're doing some simulated training oh exercise. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Okay, that's fant- <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> Better than the three bears eating your friends. I love that. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> Let's go ahead and take our last break of the podcast. Hanging here with Alan Wallace, and we'll come back and we'll talk his photography, doing it full time, and some of the things that he has been a part of, like with Ben Benro and what was the other one? In case. In yeah. case. Awesome. Hey, welcome back to the Photog Adventure Podcast. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Alan's uh, transition to full-time photography and then maybe talk a little bit about his gear choices and uh, some of the sponsorships he's got. Alan, tell us a little bit about how what you were doing. You, you said you graduated um, you, your university studies and you did some astrophotography and, and mechanical engineering. And then tell us about that journey from going from school to working to full-time photography. Uh, yeah, so I studied mechanical engineering from there went into design engineering uh kind of jobs one in turkey for like a year and then i came back to wales and started working here for a few years and uh i think it was it was like the first paycheck of my job i bought my first dslr camera and then ironically three years later that was the thing that allowed me to quit my job (laughs) (laughs) when i bought a camera i kind of realized that it was um, an amalgamation of everything I loved and was good at in one little machine. So mm. like the mathematics, the astronomy, the engineering, the artistic side of things, uh, enjoying the outdoors. So like all of these things just kind of came together in this neat little package of a DSLR and I kind of just fell so over, like head over heels for photography and as soon as work finished, I would go up into the hills and take photos until the early hours of the morning go to work the next day as a zombie you know (laughs) smashing the coffee (laughs) and yeah it just kind of I mean it was always a passionate hobby and then it it kind of just started making me money you know people were buying prints and canvases and um, companies were licensing images and videos and um, and then I started doing workshops to, to teach people and 
um, to how to do it and to get out there and enjoy the night sky and that kind of thing. And it just, I, I so I've got to a point where I burnt myself out and mm. I had no social life or energy left. And I'd just been working so hard for like two years between my job and the photography. And right, yeah, I kind of took that decision to, to quit my job, which was. Um, terrifying because you're, you're throwing that comfort away and that good paycheck and but I, I haven't looked back for one moment you know it was definitely <laughs> the right decision nice <laughs> I feel you so what's the where does the majority of your income come from I mean, you, you said you got some licensing deals and you've got some um, some do you have sponsorships and stuff that also help pay the bills and you got workshops the main bread and butter I guess is the workshops mm-hmm. because I can choose to do uh, where and when I want to do them. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit more stable. Then you get like random stuff in the email inbox, like sometimes BBC want to do a documentary on something and they need some time lapses. Nice. Or maybe some company want to license an image to use for merch or promotion of some sort of uh, product, product or whatever. Um, make it a little bit of money off YouTube, a little bit off sort of Amazon affiliates, you know, and it's, it's a little bit here, a little bit there, and it all kind of adds up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very cool so yeah finger in a lot of pies and now can we talk about um, some of the gear you li- like you prefer and use um, I know you see I see on your website that you that you have Benro on there are you sponsored by Benro um, I wouldn't call it a sponsorship they kind of uh, they kind of they, they provide me with any tripods that I need any gear that I need um, and obviously I promote their products because I love their products mm-hmm. so I, I find them very reliable and, and good and um, I do talks for them at photography shows, that kind of thing. They find me work, and um, okay, yeah, it's a bit of like a mutual. It's more of a mutual agreement more than a sponsorship, you know. Okay, so that's cool. I help them; they help me. Yeah, yeah. And then, what's your arrangement with Case? Uh, so, Case filters, um, similar kind of thing. They they provide me with my filters and kits and stuff, and I um, also act as a distributor for the UK. So, if anyone needs to buy mm-hmm. any filters, I can arrange that for them. Oh. And um, let's let's have a little bit of a an exclusive for the Photog Adventures. I've been working with Case on a brand new product, mm. um, which we we've we've called um, at the moment. It's not finalized, but a Star Glow filter. Oh, um, it's like so a, it's a little filter. So if you know the Akira Fuji effect. Yeah. Where you get a little bit of fog in the mm-hmm. sky and the big mm-hmm. stars kind yeah, of yeah. go. So it, it recreates this in the form of a filter, like a fog filter. Um, and we, we're hoping to get that on the market very soon. We've been working on it for about a year now. Nice. And, um, Do you find that it will be different than a fog three filter? Very, very similar in, in concept, but you, what we've opted for is a square filter, hundred mil by hundred mil. Oh, um, very nice. Because a lot of a lot of the these round fog filters, obviously, you have to have a 77 mil or an 82 mil. And what you find with astrophotography, if you look at like Sigma lenses, the Samyang 14 mil lens, they They're don't too big. take filters. Yeah. Yeah. So with with the 100 mil by 100 mil, even if you can't put a filter holder on the lens, you can take the filter with your hand and just kind of wave it in front of the lens. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've tried this with like round filters, but the black edge of the the round filters causes um, sort of shadowing and darkening on the image. Right. But with a hundred mil by hundred mil, because you've got no edge, you could just wave it in front of the lens, any lens, and it will apply the effect. And the and the good thing with this is that um, you can do a single exposure. Let's say where the foreground is not 
foggy, but the sky has got that effect on it. Yeah, because you just kind of keep it above it. Nice. Yeah. And that's interesting because the Double Fog 3 filter is something I've been wanting to play around with since the beginning of my astrophotography Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at a picture right now where it shows an image of the star sky where Orion is. And then when you put a Tiffin Double Fog filter or Double Fog 3 filter on, you're going to start seeing the yellow of Betelgeuse Mm -hmm. and the really bright blue of Rigel and everything just really pops. It's as if you had a thin fog or cloud layer. When you've seen the Mm -hmm. stars under a cloud layer, it is really different. Once they're ready, I'll send a couple over to you guys you're kidding awesome. we would take it in an instant and talk all about it oh yeah oh, <laughs> we yeah. would love it especially in the time right now yeah i mean once the milky way is gone i think it, it makes the winter night sky a lot more exciting because yes. the winter night sky is full of these awesome constellations yeah. like orion and the winter circle and taurus and cassiopeia and uh yeah it, and even like the plow of ursa major just looks so cool with the hmm. A little bit of the, the filter on there. Oh, I'm excited to see that and play around with that. That is really awesome. So you guys done next week? Because I'd love to have it. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not so quite. Um, we just spent a week in Oregon, and uh, one of the things I got to play with was uh, our buddy uh, Kurt Kais had just got the Benro gearhead. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. it was like a smaller, lighter, newer version than the uh, Manfrotto 410 junior that i had before which literally weighed like four or five times as much i mean it was a beast carrying a baby yeah. with you to do photography yeah we're in this thing i put it on my tripod and it weighed almost nothing i mean it was like really great it, and the gears worked just as smooth and it was just a fantastic head to use do you use um anything like that for your photography i haven't no i mean when i first saw it i was like oh it's a bit big and bulky and and I'm the kind of guy who likes to just sort of really run and gun, you know, so I'll, mm-hmm. I I love the freedom of a ball head. But I, I'm kind of starting to think that maybe I should try one now because I've heard so many guys say, like, they're so good. You could do these really minor adjustments with ease. Um, so I think I'm probably going to have to give one a go because it, they've been really well received mm-hmm. in the UK, especially a lot of people like yourself who had the Monfrotto one and were saying, like, it's so much lighter and, and all that. Yeah, it, it was great. I mean, I used it for four days i think straight and i i was sad to take it off you know my tripod so because it's not it's not mine (laughs) and i'm like man i really got to get one of these this is great (laughs) it's been a lot of fun using it so uh, yeah i'm really excited to use that compared to now he also had the manfrotto x pro which was the smaller plasticky manfrotto which he um he liked equally i think um but just knowing that the benro was more aluminum more metal just gave me more yeah. trust in it. And I've heard people feel and, and review the X-Pro from Manfrotto saying it was a bit chintzy and and uh, and uh-huh. even some people had broke, broken the plastic parts. So. Mm. Oh, no. so I don't I don't really want to go that route. I'd rather go with something like Ben Real, which has really just answered uh, a desire I've had for over t- almost two years now to have something lighter oh, and, and smaller and and more efficient than the than a big bulky Manfrotto right. gearhead. Yeah. What are some of the lenses that you are favoring when you do your astrophotography? Um, so my all time favorite lens is the what we call the Samyang, what you call the Rokinon. Mm, yeah, me too. Twenty four mil f one point four. Like I have such an affinity with that lens; it feels like my child. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I hear <laughs> the you. Point where, like, when I switched from Canon to Sony. 
rather than selling it and buying a new Sony mount version, I just bought like the adapter mm. because that Samyang lenses or that 24mm lenses is my lens. Like, I can't just, you know, like mm. you know when you're a kid and your goldfish dies and your parents buy a new goldfish <laughs> and you're like, that's not my goldfish. <laughs> I, it's just like I'm so attached to this lens. Um, I love it. And it's such a great price as well, as long as you get a good copy because they're known to be pretty bad on the quality control some some of them turn up like decentered or unsharp and uh, but my copy is really good and i've been in love with it for years now um i also love the sigma 14 mil oh, yeah. f1.8 me too yeah like that thing is a beast i mean it shouldn't exist <laughs> like, I, I remember hearing the the press release like oh sigma are making a 14 mil f1.8 and I was like, ooh, <laughs> what? And then, and then in my head, I was like, but why? Why are they doing this? Like, I was like, who was the guy who walked into the boardroom and said, let's make a 14 mil F1.8? And they're like, only for what, what's it going to be like? It's going to be, <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be big, it's going to be heavy, and it's going to be expensive. Um, okay, so um, <laughs> who are we making it for? Um, astrophotographers? How big a group of that in, is that in photographers? A really small group. <laughs> And then the guy, the CEO, has gone like, yeah, let's do it. Like, <laughs> it makes you wonder uh, if someone I mean, was so like really sure. into astrophotography and took like, you know, the, the executive that had that decision out to shoot astrophotography and is like, look, the 20 is good, but it just needs to be wider. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we need it for this. You know, you're, you're not far off, man. Like I, I, I pondered about this for months and I was speaking <laughs> to the Sigma UK ambassador and he sent me like an internal email that was going around really Sigma global group. And um, the, well, the the chief engineer of Sigma is an avid astrophotographer. Mm. Oh yes, that's awesome news. And the the CEO of Sigma there's like this interview, and the CEO of Sigma says something along the lines of, you know, yes, we have our commercial obligations. So we make lenses that are popular that will sell really well. But every year we like to do one, maybe two projects where we we don't consider commercial interest we just want to push the boundaries test ourselves like do something that's never been done before so i think you know that that astrophotographer's walked in and said like let's make a 14 f 1.8 it's gonna be really difficult and expensive <laughs> and the guy's gone like yeah let's do it <laughs> that's awesome and, yeah that's the reason i like sigma you know yeah you i'm that really kind of storage, fond of like sigma. what an awesome company <laughs> yeah. yeah they amazing, understand me man. they get they me. understand me <laughs> but like i can't wait to take that thing i'm gonna go to norway in february and iceland in march i cannot wait to use it on the aurora mm. like the ability to shoot like f1.8 bring the shutter speed down and do sort of time lapses that are not so sped up mm-hmm. as if you were shooting 2.8 um, I'm so excited to try that out. That's true when you think about doing a time lapse and when you don't have to do a 20 second exposure but you can do 5 second exposures then your time lapse can be so yeah, much yeah. more smooth and delicious. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. <laughs> and delicious. Don't forget the delicious <laughs> Oh, that part. sounds amazing. I can't wait to see those. Oh yeah, and I will own one. What am I talking of um talking of Sigma? I really like the 150 to 600, mm. which I call the Moon Bazooka because mm-hmm. I only use it to the shoot moon the moon. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be for wildlife. It's you just like this big one. <laughs> yeah, but literally just last night there was a conjunction between the Moon, the Crescent Moon, and Saturn. Oh, Ooh. was was it? Oh, cool. And yeah, and I I shot it with the 600 mil, and you can literally see the rings around Saturn. That just blew my mind last night. I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's so awesome. I've got this image of like, yeah, it's. I have to show you the image. Um, I'm just about to throw it on social media now, but it's a really thin crescent moon 
and next to it you've got one it's about one degree away you got Saturn with its rings. It looks insane. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, I think we're going to wrap things up. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank man. Thanks for joining us oh, and being with us this whole hour. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Alan, when people, they know that you're on YouTube, they know that you have a web page, but where can they follow you, social media, anywhere, name it all off, where people can follow Alan Wallace when they want to follow your photography? Yeah, it's just Alan Wallace on, on Instagram and Facebook and all of those but I think YouTube is my favorite man the thing with YouTube is that it feels so much more real than other social medias um, Instagram I find these days just so fake and mm. even the comments don't feel real on Instagram anymore but over on YouTube like it's just it's it's a lot more genuine more of a something community about feel, the YouTube yeah. community 100% man it's yeah. yeah feel that absolutely understand it man I can't wait till someday we can be out there in Wales and then do a collaboration with you that would be a blast Anytime, dude. Anytime. Bring an umbrella. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks, thanks Alan. Thanks, patrons. Thanks for joining us this thanks episode. Episode 101 in the books. Milky Way in the books for 2018. Yeah. We will see the Milky Way core again in 2019, January 23rd, our area. I'm not sure when exactly you'll see the Milky Way again, Alan, in Wales. It's even later, I imagine. Hey, I'm still enjoying the sickness region, man. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Love you guys. Thanks so much. Keep checking back in. We'll see you on Wednesday with our other episode for Photog Adventures. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us, Alan. See ya. See ya. Thanks, guys. You too.